It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Amrita Myers, and welcome to Bring It On, an award-winning show celebrating 12 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Well, hello, Amrita. How are you? I'm well, Jim. How are you? I'm fantastic, and good evening to you all. I am Jim Sims. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest all in the next hour right here on Bring It On. But first, Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, is a national network of groups and individuals organizing uh, for racial justice. Through community organizing, mobilizing, and education, SURGE moves people to act as part of a multiracial majority for justice with passion and accountability. They also work to connect people across the country while supporting and collaborating with local and national racial justice organizing efforts. Surge, or Show Up for Racial Justice, provides a space to build relationships, skills, and political analysis to act for change. They envision a society where we struggle together with love for justice, human dignity, and a sustainable world. One of the prevailing philosophies of this group is that racism is still present throughout all of our contemporary institutions and structures. Um, And it's something that is clearly devastating to people of color and is closely intertwined with all systems of oppression. It robs all of us, white people and people of color, of our humanity. They are one of the three organizations in Indiana affiliated with the National Surge Network. And actually, that's one of those sections we can read again. Mm-hmm. However, we have with us this evening Beth Applegate, president of Applegate Consulting Group, who is the co-chair for Bloomington Showing Up for Racial Justice. She, along with Bring It On contributor William Hosea, join us to discuss surge in a more detailed uh, manner. We also have with us Jennifer Brooks, who is also a co-chair for Surge, and she is a fellow WFHB volunteer co-host on the Interchange program. Mm -hmm. Beth, Jennifer, and William, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Did you hear the chorus clapping? That was my stomach. So, Jennifer and Beth, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the history of the larger national surge network and movement and sort of when it came about mm-hmm. and, and for under what context? Sure, absolutely. So our work is grounded in the call to white people um, that dates back to the 60s. Um, and the Student for Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, is also known in the Black Power Movement. And so Surge currently today was founded um, after, the, after Obama was elected and was in response to racist backlash and scapegoating of people of color. Mm -hmm. So Pam McMichael, um, who at that time was the executive director of the Highlander Center, um, which is located in Tennessee and is the home of um, you know, critical activities around the civil rights movement, including organizing for the Montgomery bus boycott, the citizen schools, and where SNCC was founded. Um, again, uh, based on a call from people of color, put out a request to white people who um, were working on racial justice to come together on a phone call and talk about a coordinated campaign to deal with the backlash of racism, to deal with some of the um, right-wing immigrant uh, policies and also uh, some of the anti-queer activities that were going on. That's high, it used to be called the Highlander Folk School, right? I mean, it, that's that's right. Yeah, 
And I actually know the current director, um, Ashley Henderson, because mm-hmm. she and I met at a Black Lives Matter conference last spring where we were both speakers. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's a wonderful, amazing, long, rich, historied institution in the black community. Absolutely. In the hills of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, you know, MLK, Ella uh, Baker, John Lewis, you know, many, many folks and uh, names that we know from the civil rights movements mm-hmm. there and provided training. Yeah, they ran these great citizenship schools where they would help provide not only literacy, but political understanding to help people overcome a lot of the obstacles to vote, registering to vote. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, can you comprehend a section of the Constitution, et cetera? So they would teach people about their rights, help them get familiar with the Constitution and the laws, and then uh, be able to like send folks out to actually register to vote and successfully overcome a lot of those uh, Jim Crow clauses that prevented them from doing so. That's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And that's really where Ella Baker and Ann Braden, mm-hmm. you know, forged their relationship yeah. in terms of cross-race, anti-racism work. So maybe, Jennifer, maybe you can jump yes. in and tell us what, you know, brought you and Beth together to, you know, found a chapter of Surge here in Bloomington. Sure. And then well, I'll shush and let Jim get a word in that <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. Surrounded by promises, promises. <laughs> so um, I... I started the the chapter in uh, November of 2015, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. and um, it was really uh, it was a moment when I wanted to do more. You know, I was sort of one of those people who was active on Facebook and social media and amongst my friends, talking mm-hmm. about um, the sort of. Uh, the problem of racial injustice in Mm. this country and that it is institutionalized, that it's not just like, oh, there's some bad folks over there. So this was something that had, you know, over the years become um, increasingly um, clear to me of Mm. the nature, the sort of systemic nature of the problem. Mm. And I was fed up. I mean, this was, you know, a year after Mike Brown's death. And so Mm -hmm. it was really in that climate in which a national conversation about race and racism was beginning um, in an, in a in a more sort of a explicit way than at least I had remembered encountering in my lifetime. And so a friend of mine who is active in many social justice movements said, hey, you should check out Surge. So I went to the website and um, really it went from there. You just sort of, I, it looked like somebody had already begun something in Bloomington. And so the national uh, chap, the national individuals from the national group uh, connected me with her and we started holding meetings Um you know, I'm talking five people in my living room having a conversation about why we were all there. That's how amazing things begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. So um, that individual wasn't able to stay in a coordinating role. And so the group just kind of kept rolling on. Um, and honestly, I think if Beth had not kind of come into the picture, it, it may not be as in good of shape as it is now. Um, When she came on, she brought a lot of um, energy from her expertise as an organizer, um, which is, you know, her work. Um, And so, um, so that's sort of the the short version of, of the story of the local chapter. So it's been in existence since, since fall of 2015. So about a year and a half, about Mm -hmm. a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Bloomington is one of the lightning rods, for lack of a better term, for these type of movements um, and support for um, underrepresented groups and mistreated groups and that sort of thing. Um, I do remember the first surge meeting I attended in Beth's house, um, and I think Jennifer was there. I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm getting old, so I can't remember much (laughs) anymore. Um, But I was impressed. I think I did something stupid and said, yeah, there's... We need more estrogen or testosterone or something in here. Uh, but oh, it, okay. Well, no, it was, you know, it's, no, it's a weird a, a way of all these bright women that, that I felt the energy and, and we connected. Mm, but not um, a lot of men in the space. Oh, no, I was okay. the only one there. So okay. it's kind of like, okay, how can we be humorous and break the ice? And it didn't quite go over that well. <laughs> uh, but they accepted me nonetheless. Um, with regard to the local partnerships and collaborations, um, can you let us know what are the groups you tend to work with and what is it that you all hope to achieve? Um, and I know that's a mouthful because we right. could talk about that for two weeks. But Yeah, get comfortable. <laughs> um, so 
I think one thing to understand about the chapter right now is that we're still building capacity in a very real way. And mm-hmm. so I'm hopeful that listeners right now who have their interest peaked will contact us after this. Um, membership uh, attendance at our regular meetings has been sporadic. You know, it'll sort of go through a growth spurt and then it quiets down. And now, after a year and a half, we've got a core group of people who've really been sticking with it and who I think are sort of in the early stages of kind of becoming a leadership team. So, you know, I think when you talk about Surge Bloomington, there is a lot more potential mm. um, to be fully realized. Um, right now, we have... Um, we have undertaken a lot of outreach efforts, and yes. Beth, maybe we'll be able to talk about that in a little bit more detail. Um, we've been talking with a lot of different groups to um, just sort of make sure that there's a racial analysis to their to their work here in Bloomington. So I'm talking about other groups, um, you know, like you described, Jim. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of activity in this town, but people have different focus and so Mm -hmm. we've been you know in the early stages of really working with groups to make sure that there is um, representation or a thought about making sure that diverse voices are included so Mm -hmm. um, kind of a work in progress I don't know Beth Mm -hmm. there is there more about some of our partnerships well you know I would connect with partnership Um, one of the core values of our national organization is um, working in multiracial organization in a a multiracial movement and in order to do that while Surge believes uh, as do I that it's really important to create space for white folks to come um, together to really interrogate our own internalized superiority to understand ourselves as racial beings um, one of the core values of Surge is to be in accountable relationships to and with other people of color who, in turn, are accountable to people of color. So Jen and I have been um, uh, meeting with folks of color in Bloomington who lead um, uh, organizations that are focusing on racial justice um, to introduce them to Surge if they don't already know, to also ask them, you know, what do you see as the needs in terms of racial justice, racial equity in Bloomington, and how might a Surge organization um, support those efforts? So, and Jen and I have also, as part of our kind of ongoing grounding um, for Surge, uh, actively uh, started to attend uh, events, meetings, et cetera, organized uh, by folks of color to listen, to ask questions, and again, to um, start with the basics, which is building relationships. Right. Yes. And one of the things I've noticed, I'm um, starting at your house, and then when I went to a meeting at the library. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed that there's an education piece. Yes. Um, and how important is, is that from your perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I've noticed that. And there's mm-hmm. you learn mm-hmm. as, as you mm-hmm. not only do you you learn to get along more and understand others, but you learn just mm-hmm. overall mm-hmm. Um, things like privilege mm-hmm. and, and these sorts of things. How mm-hmm. important is that to you all and, and your promotions? I can't overstate the Mm -hmm. importance of education, especially for white Americans. You Mm -hmm. know, part of what I hear a lot is this sort of like uh, incomprehension Mm -hmm. of why people don't get it. You know, why why white people don't really understand the the true systemic nature of racism Mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. Part of it is that our history is not taught accurately in a lot of ways and so there is at the k through 12 level unfortunately yeah yeah yeah, i'm sure it's pervasive through Mm -hmm. um so you know for me so i think when i look at things from sort of a structural analysis like that education is super Mm -hmm. important that's also been my personal experience Mm. i had not undertaken organizing Um, for really anything before Mm -hmm. founding Surge. And so I am very much a work in progress and still trying to figure out how to do this work. And, you know, the education piece is so important to um, first and foremost get clear on sort of the the true systems of power that exist um, and our own history. 
Um, also to really get clear on the erasure, erasure mm. of the contributions of persons of color in mm -hmm. our country. Mm -hmm. That's also a big thing that I think contributes to sort of the misinformation and, mm. and lack of connection mm -hmm. in yes. our country. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for me, it's hopefully uh, leading me to be a clearer communicator mm. on this topic, which is super essential because it's a charged topic, right? Mm -hmm. And so Surge, because it does have that focus, you know, we work within, for sure, a multiracial space, but there is a special emphasis on on mobilizing white people. And educating other white people. Yes, yes, because yeah. they we need to be part of the solution. White right. people are a part of the problem in terms of just the system of oppression. We have to become a part of the solution. Um, and so that educative piece has been super important. So some of the things that we've done in Surge Bloomington. That's where I was headed next, so good. Was it? Tell okay. us about the things you've been doing already. <laughs> All right, Amrita, I will. <laughs> so, um, so we have a, a sort of a reading group, um, and these, these activities have just really been over the last year when there started to be a little bit more sort of salience and cohesion of the group. So we have had a reading group. We've done two different books so far. First is Michelle Alexander's The New, uh, Jim, New Jim Crow. Crow. Yes. Right. Um, critical. Critical. Yeah. Um, such a cogent analysis to help you understand really mm -hmm. why things are the way they are. Mm. Um, the second book that we did, um, Angela Davis, Freedom is a Constant Struggle, yep. Ferguson, Palestine, and the Foundations of a Movement. Um, we also have a have had several meetings from sort of a political analyses group, and that working group focuses uh, has focused on the platforms of Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and another group called Black is Back Coalition. Mm. So again, it's this idea kind of ties back to what Beth said around the accountability piece, is that um, we need to be fighting for things that people of color say they need, right? right. This is a, a participatory thing, but it's also a really active listening thing. So, um, and then the third um, activity that we've done has been a film series. Mm -hmm. We've held Yeah, I was two excited films. about that. I've been seeing a lot about that mm -hmm. online, so. You know what's really fun about that too is um, people who don't come to the meetings have come to the films. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really great way to make connections outside of people who don't necessarily wanna come to a meeting. And it also becomes a really great opportunity for people to talk and sort of just mm -hmm. grapple with mm -hmm. the ideas that come through on a movie. What kind of films have you been showing in the series? Jennifer? Um, we have done uh, two films from uh, both from us, the same producer. Shakti Butler. Shakti mm -hmm. Butler. Um, and she has, um, Beth can probably speak more to who um, Shakti is and, and her body of work, but these films, one was um, called uh, Mirrors of Privilege. Mm -hmm. And the second one was called Cracking the Code. And Mirrors of Privilege was really kind of um, sort of just a, a lot of stories from particularly white individuals who had made a commitment to working for racial justice. Mm -hmm. And it really just created a space for people to say, hey, this is how you know I came to the work, sort of as an opening and invitation right. to other mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. you know, who maybe have concerns but don't know how to sort of take the step. The second one, Cracking the Codes, which was much more of an analytical framework for mm -hmm. understanding the systems of oppression. Is that a fair? That's a, I think that's a great descriptor. I, I think Mirrors of Privilege was Shakti's second film. Shakti is out of uh, Berkeley, California, and she's an African-American filmmaker um, and a colleague of mine um, and longstanding presenter at the annual White Privilege Conference. Um, and Mirrors of Privilege, Making Whiteness Visible, um, is, I would say, kind of a 101 opportunity for white people to really take a look at um, ourselves as racialized beings, right? That mm. we, in fact, have a race, and we, in mm -hmm. fact, are racialized. And then to Jen's point, um, cracking the codes, uh, she introduces her structural analysis of racism and really helps us understand the systems uh, um, that holds, whether those are policies or practices or laws, um, and how culture um, 
inter, uh, intertwines with that and holds it in place. Um, and those two films, I think, together, you know, allow us um, intrigue at an individual level and then call us into better understanding how the systemic nature of racism works. Yeah. Well, we could talk about wow. this all day um, for the benefit of our listeners, and we'll let William get yeah. jump right we'll, in we'll here. We'll let William get in here, well, too. <laughs> but, but first, uh, uh, I want our listeners to understand that we're talking this evening with Jennifer Brooks, um, a fellow WFHB volunteer and co-host on Interchange Program, and Beth Applegate, the president of Applegate Consulting Group, and they're both these women are co-chairs for Bloomington's Showing Up for Racial Justice group, S-U-R-G, Surge. S-U-R-J. I'm sorry, S U R J. It's okay. Surge. Thank Surge. you, <laughs> William. Yeah, let, let's get back to Edgewise here for a minute. Um, so, so we have two white females who are advocates and passionate about um, racial justice. And so, when you go into the black community, one thing that a lot of people are going to wonder about is what, if any. Uh, besides your activism, what, if any, ties do you have to the black community? Or are you just two white females who've been enlightened uh, uh, through separate experiences? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, Fair question. (laughs) So locally, I have very few connections to the black community, and that's been a part of the sort of a conundrum of the outreach effort on my heart, on my path. It's also been insightful to recognize mm-hmm. I have many colleagues and acquaintances who are non-white in the, in, here in Bloomington, but I had to admit to myself in the course of doing this work that I didn't have close friends in this town who were non-white. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm from the Bay Area, which is a much more obviously diverse community, mm-hmm. yes. um, and so I had a very different experience there. And you know, so that, that it's almost hard to compare those two experiences because in a place like the Bay Area, there's so much less segregation between right cultural groups so you know you're everybody's influencing one another and sort of in one another's space to some extent to some extent um so so that's 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 it for me for the most part and bloomington is my hometown so i was born and raised here and then um left for about 25 years and returned in 2010 and you know my um journey uh, resembles Jen's at a national level. Um, part of my consulting practice practice is doing racial equity work. And so I work across race um, with other consultants, with other faculty and educational um, settings. Um, I have um, uh, close acquaintances um, of people of color um, across the country and am building those relationships now that I've returned to Bloomington. Um, I agree, you know, I was in the D.C. metro area for 25 years, and as Jen is talking about California, um, it is, uh, it is D.C. is also a segregated city, but mm-hmm. in my political organizing and my LGBTQ community, um, I was the former national field director for the National Abortion and Reproductive Rights Action League. Those political opportunities uh, provided me um, a means to build real relationships. Um, and that's why for me, the accountability meetings, um, mm-hmm. and that's how I'm you know, framing mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> with folks, because I do think it is about accountability, also allows me to begin to build those relationships in my hometown in a meaningful um, and an, an accountable way um, that is necessary for this work. So it really seems like the organization is doing two things simultaneously, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, that one, it's about conscious white folks educating and waking up other not yet conscious white folks mm-hmm. about white privilege, white supremacy, mm-hmm. institutionalized racism, structural inequities, and helping them to see that these things are real and not just some hysterical figment of you know my imagination. Right. Um, but at the same time, then building relationships and networks with different groups of color and people of color and saying, how can we come alongside of you and help you to accomplish the things you need to do, right? Because these are, they seem like they're two really different things, but they're not. Because if you start to wake up the base, mm-hmm. right, amongst the white demographic, 
then you have a group of people ready to stand aside, stand with, right, mm-hmm. and alongside mm-hmm. people of color in the in the fights that we're having to fight, right? Um, so I'll tell you what I appreciate about it. <laughs> As an educator, I talk all day long about race and gender <laughs> and sexuality and inequity. And when I go home at night, it's really hard to keep doing that amongst other people in my, you know, who are white amongst my peer group, because I'm like, I'm really tired from having to teach my students this all day long. I really don't want to have to teach Mm -hmm. person A, B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. The fact that you and Serge are doing that work, Mm -hmm. right, with other white (laughs) folks Mm -hmm. is helpful to me because it means that I can actually focus more directly Mm -hmm. on the social justice work that I want to be doing, Mm -hmm. as opposed to having to spend half of my energy and time trying to like teach Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow, yeah, um, or the documentary Thirteenth. That's right. Or the really, really the new James Baldwin. I am not your Negro. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you are continuing mm-hmm. this film series, mm-hmm. I would I would suggest yeah. that these are films that they should see. Right. But I I really appreciate that because I feel like there's only so many hours in a day, right. and and I would like to not have to do that first piece of it, which is waking up. <laughs> I'm trying to wake up the students in my classrooms and right. you know right. Right. I don't want to have to be waking up the whole community too and so I that's something that I really appreciate about what you guys are doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And mostly I appre- I appreciate that for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because I want to be clear that I don't know that surge is a solution to anything. Correct. Correct. It mm-hmm. is something that I'm trying because I know and believe that racial injustice in this country, this is this is harming all Americans. Mm-hmm. This is a spiritual and temporal mm. blight mm-hmm. on the soul of America. You get no arguments from me on that. So <laughs> nor here. That said, <laughs> you know, there people people get uncomfortable because yes. Surge has this focus on mobilizing white people. Oh, you want to segregate? Oh, no. you're trying to exclude. Mm-hmm. And I, I I realize that. Uh, Probably any attempt that that Beth and I make as individuals or collectively will be problematic in ways. That's sort of human nature. We learn and we grow as we go along. Mm-hmm. There's always room to sort of self-reflect and and grow. But just that aspect of it, if I if I could do nothing more than sort of get better at that educative piece because of what you just described. You know, that that's one piece of feedback I hear from communities of color over and over and over I don't know about anybody else, but I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I need Mm -hmm. that help. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, it's it's mentally and emotionally and spiritually Mm -hmm. exhausting. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I alluded to the education piece earlier, and I think there's many different ways to educate Mm -hmm. oneself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a golfer. Mm. Um, and whatever people may think of that. But I <laughs> asked to play with a woman one day, a white woman who was a scholarship athlete on the women, IU women's golf team. She happened to be from Toronto. Mm. So as we're talking. One of my people. You know, <laughs> but as we're talking, um, it was clear that she wasn't happy or comfortable due to the lack of diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we had all these other opportunities from the scholarships, she just wasn't content or happy. Um, and I think the next year she left. Oh, with um, Bloomington, you mean? Mm, yes, with, with, mm. with the, yeah, coming the, from the, Toronto, the I can see why that would be. Sure. Um, yeah. So I guess my question is: Do you all meet a fair amount of resistance from other whites um, while trying to enlighten them or educate them? Or is, is that no? No, fair? that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> is that fair? Well, we talked about whether well, or not they're you know how do you build networks with people of yeah. color, but. What do, how do white people respond yeah. to the fact that y'all are co-chairs of Surge? And, and these are not the only two enlightened and, and no. passionate women oh, that I've met. No, 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 no. That's right. right. So I will, agree, I will just say that, but didn't well, mean to interrupt. Go ahead, no, please. and I, th- I would couch this a couple of ways. I mean, I think one of the things that white supremacy does, um, it is most... Um, successful when we're isolated and separated from each other. Mm -hmm. And one of the things um, an unexamined white culture Mm -hmm. um, can bring about is competition and, um, you know, uh, you may have heard this term white fragility that Mm -hmm. one of my colleagues, Robin DiAngelo, (laughs) um, coined. Um, And even, you know, as many people in Bloomington and I myself identify as a progressive 
one of the things that I've understood in my own journey, um, you know, because by the grace of God go me, that I'll step in it and make a mistake. Mm. Um, and I will. Um, and what um, what the opportunity of sitting and being an intentional conversation with other white people who are on this journey to wake themselves up, mm -hmm. to understand ourselves um, as white people in a white supremacist system, is it, it allows us um, to um, actually be better partners to people of color. So back to your point, Amrita, you know, you teach all day, you um, are engaged in a lot of activities around social and racial justice in Bloomington. And um, the challenge sometimes is, is that folks will identify as being progressive or liberal, and that does not equate with being anti-racist. That's exactly right. right. And, you know, part of what we also know is that this field, whether you call it diversity, and now we've moved to diversity and inclusion, and now we're moving to um, organizational equity and inclusion, and now, you know, the latest language I'm hearing out there, you know, and cultural competency was in there for a while, mm -hmm. is also equity and racial justice. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, one of the benefits of white-on-white uh, -white organizing is be able to raise the consciousness of white progressives that you cannot equate our progressive values with really a structural and racial analysis and being anti-racist. That's one of the things that I've been reading so much about um, the last few months is white liberal racism, yes, right? Absolutely. Um, because one of the hardest groups to convince that they've actually been co-opted by the system and that they hold these unconscious biases, right? Mm -hmm. um, are white liberals who already think that they are anti-racist progressives, yes. <laughs> right? That's right. Um, and and they're that's one of the toughest nuts to crack, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, nobody yeah. wants to say I am a racist. Oh, these days nobody nobody is a racist. Apparently, from well, the you know that's I what, mean, that's how everybody responds. Well, I'm not a right, racist, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. So I think you know one of the big takeaways for me of the Angela Davis book that we mentioned, "Freedom Is a Constant Struggle," was, you know, she she kept coming back to the structural right over and over we've and all over been affected again. by the system we've all been mm -hmm. shaped by it mm -hmm. you right. know but the point is whether or not we're aware of it right mm -hmm. but i think it's really uncomfortable to say gosh just by virtue of being white in this country i have white privilege even if i've never understood what that means or you know because right. i've had friends say that to me they're like i'm not rich i had to that's work right. three jobs to go through college and i'm the first you know et cetera, et cetera. and i'm like right. that's actually not what privilege means. You're thinking specifically about dollars. Right. And that's actually not what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and I think for me, the language around it is tricky. It's so, tricky. you know, mm -hmm. white privilege is something specific. Specific. It does not, because I have enjoyed, not enjoyed is not quite the right word, but I have been privileged with white privilege. Right. For, uh, the recipient of. I've been the recipient. Right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um it doesn't mean I haven't had hardships. Right. It doesn't mean I've stru haven't struggled. Correct. And I think that that's one of the challenges, you know, in this work is, you know, it doesn't matter if white privilege is the most accurate term. If it's not effective yeah. for getting people right. to see something right. different, it's sort of then then we have to think about different strategies and techniques of working with that verbiage. Because, you know, naming it is important, mm -hmm. but affecting it is really the goal. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, one of the things I've found very interesting over the years is that um, there are many white people who find it very difficult to find out or believe that black people or people of color are racist as well or can mm -hmm. be. Right. Um, is that an issue in, mm -hmm. in your work and, mm -hmm. and what you're dealing with? And mm -hmm. is it an obstacle? Mm. You know, usually when I talk about <clears throat> whether uh, people of color can be racist, um, I talk about people of color being able to be uh, have biases. We all have internalized uh, implicit mm -hmm. bias, right. and I do a lot of work around that. Um, and you can be prejudiced. Um, you know, the question of mm -hmm. whether people of color can actually be racist then raises the, the larger uh, question for me about prejudice and power. And so when we look at racism as a systemic mm -hmm. yes. um, Individuals issue. can be bigoted Correct. or prejudiced. Correct. Which but systemic and structurally, United States is 
racist. You correct. know, white liberals are also not the only ones who can be co-opted by racism. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You have black I people contributing to a it. Half dozen every or day. more African Americans at the yeah, national yeah. level that would qualify. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yes. laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I'm not talking about, you oh, know, sorry. these uh uh Trump supporters nope, who are people nope. of color. I'm talking about people who think they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, another issue that comes up a lot with white people is um, saying, well, I'm colorblind, you know, and really having to like, um, I, it's a, it's, it's tough in our community though, because people want, you know, at an individual level, and this goes back to, and connected to white fragility to be seen as good people. And so they think that the answer, you know, and, and we certainly were fed a line in, you know, post Obama that we're a post racial society so which is untrue obviously um is this idea that you know the answer is to be colorblind and you know when that comes up in a surge meeting or comes up with other white folks that I'm you know speaking with you know I talk about the fact that we're not first of all um we absolutely do see color yeah erasure is part of the problem and erasure is part of the problem and when we act as if we're colorblind (laughs) we're actually erasing and ignoring and ignoring you know i think that makes it worse yes yes i I agree yes you know and so when you can frame it in erasure and when you can frame it in the fact um that that takes away both the unique um and um uh uh creative ways in which people of color live their lives and also the racism Mm -hmm. that people of color have faced, then it's a great entry point for white people to understand, oh, right, being colorblind doesn't really work. Um, but that is something that comes up and has come up, you know, in, in my work on this t- is on the topic is that white people want to just move beyond race yeah. and because then invisibilize it. Right. Because it's uncomfortable. They don't want to, we don't want to mm-hmm. talk about it because mm-hmm. it's so painful. The mm-hmm. history is ugly. Is hi- yes. Hey, yes. The legacy of violence of white people is, is very, very mm-hmm. difficult and ugly. So it's true. So how do we, moving forward, what are the kinds of things that you envision wanting to do here in Bloomington? I mean, you've been doing the, you know, the book club, you've been doing the movie series. These are still things that kind of um, predicate themselves on people wanting to come like of their own volition. Are there any things coming up in Bloomington Surge where maybe you're taking the, the talk out to people in different ways as opposed to waiting for people who are already questioning to come to you? I'm just curious what's coming up next for, for Surge Bloomington. Um, programmatically, some of what Beth talked about and the outreach efforts that are underway, we mm. hope for sure in the next year to be partnering with other organizations in, in town, right. in town mm-hmm. for events. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, Surge Bloomington. The other piece of it that I think is a really important piece kind of happens on a more individual level, mm. which is that. Um, those of us who are the recipients of white privilege, mm-hmm. who find ourselves in meetings or uh, at the family dinner table, that we have <laughs> to take every opportunity to speak up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, that's something that's not sort of culturally sanctioned in the white community, you know, by mm-hmm. and large. I'm talking broad strokes, and you'll mm-hmm. find an exception everywhere. So um, I know you were asking programmatically specifically, but I, I well, did want to like, you know, yeah. just sort of mention that, too, because it is important. an important piece. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask, uh, what family dinner table were you referring to? <laughs> um, well, so specifically, I was back home, uh, I'm as I mentioned, from California, and I was back home with uh, people of my extended family recently. Okay, that family dinner table. Mm-hmm. My students yeah. tell yeah. me that every time they go home for Thanksgiving, it's very uncomfortable because they've been taking my class and turkey dinner is no longer as uh, neutral as they once thought it was. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we could, yeah, we could talk about this for a whole lot longer. Believe it or not, we've gone through 40 minutes and so we're out of time. Quick, that was uh, fast. That, wow. yeah, we, just, we just really, it was super fast because this is really important. The work that you're doing is really important. So just, you know, from both uh, all of us here at Bring It On, I wanted to thank Beth Applegate, president of Applegate Consulting Group and co-chair for Bloomington's Showing Up for Racial Justice, a 
along with Jennifer Brooks, the other co-chair. And uh, Jennifer is also a fellow WFHB volunteer and works on the interchange program here at the station. I want to thank both of them um, for coming out tonight to discuss the Surge initiative. Again, Surge's core values include seeking to build accountability with people of color who are doing racial justice work in Bloomington and Monroe County and um, being accountable like, to that group of people. Um, as they express, accountability doesn't mean waiting by the phone for a person of color to tell us exactly what to do. Often people of color are too busy organizing in their own communities to provide us with feedback. It's not about permission giving. Instead, it means developing plans to organize in the white community and seeking feedback. And I would challenge folks out there from my standpoint to challenge terms like good fit. When you hear good fit, question what that means. But to learn more about this organization, Surge, contact Beth Applegate at Beth at AppleGateOnline.com. You can also reach them at S-U-R-J Bloomington at gmail.com. That's Surge Bloomington at gmail.com. And you can find them on Facebook. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from CATS, Community Access Television Services. Long before C-SPAN was providing government coverage in our nation's capital, CATS was televising uncensored broadcasts of live local meetings right here in Bloomington and Monroe County. CATS, celebrating 43 years of public access television. On your local cable system and on the newly updated website, CATSTV.net. Nephew, what Uncle Johnny? Now, I know things in the world looking crazy right now, and you don't know what's going to happen next. But there's a word of encouragement for you, boo. Uncle Donnie, Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter.
just heard Ooh Child, a song by Donnie McClurkin and Kirk Franklin. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB news website at WFHB.org forward slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 on your FM dial and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Jim Sims. And I'm Amrita Myers. So I think we're now moving into our news category yes, tonight. Sir. Is that right, Jim? Yes, it is. Did I miss something here? <laughs> <laughs> It's time to now give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, once again, I am still Jim Sims. And I am also still Amrita Myers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lots of news stories tonight, but we only really have time for a couple. So, Jim, you want to lead us off? Uh... Well, we sure can. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we'll discuss is the city commission or a city commission joins forces to address school lunch shaming mm. the city of bloomington's commission on the status of black males and the commission on the status of children and youth have joined forces to address school lunch shaming at mccsc schools are asking for your support during the may 12 2017 meeting of the mccsc school corporation board of trustees board members approved the revision of policy 8500 by a majority vote of four to two policy 8500 outlines the requirements of the superintendent regarding school lunches under the policy outlined in e and f if a parent or caregiver has an outstanding balance on their account but their child has taken possession of a hot lunch the hot lunch is taken from the child and discarded. The child is then issued an alternative lunch or a cold lunch. A point of contention about this policy is the manner in which students receive the alternative meal option and how the school board is attempting to have parents, caregivers satisfy their debt. This, uh, this lunch shaming thing is really a national issue, right, Jim? I mean, it's not just happening here in Bloomington. No. Um, children will literally have their trays ripped out of their hands. Um, they will be, like, forced to do chores around the school, like mopping the floors um, or, you know, helping out in the serving lines. Um, it's, it's really like the public act of shaming. I mean, you have children going hungry, but you're also humiliating them That's in true. front of their peers. That's true. And right? there has been... Um, a position from some of the, the school administrators is that other children have no idea that this is occurring. Mm -hmm. I think we underestimate <laughs> the capacity of other kids um, and they all know what's going on and right. why would we subject children to that? First, yeah, first of all, why would we let a kid go hungry and throw that meal into the garbage can? And exactly. second of all, why would we basically out a family's financial status, right, to other children and potentially then it goes out from there. The kind of bullying that could ensue from something like that is absolutely mind-boggling. Right. Right. I mean, if, if, if my parents are behind on their bill payments, I don't need for all of my friends to know that. I don't need for that to become a subject of, you know, humiliation and gossip and, and things out on the playground at recess time. 
you know, it's, um, yeah, it's really problematic. So I, I think it's really wonderful that, right, the Commission on the Status of Black Males and the Commission on the Status of Children and Youth, right, understand that what's happening here is goes well beyond, you know, bill payment. It's it's lunch right. shaming, right? It's humiliating it, children. And it's it's like I said, airing people's private business. Right. Right. And, and there are other groups that are supportive uh, of this mm -hmm. measure with the other groups. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, one of the things that bothered me a little bit was the fact that administration um, and I'm not sure if this came directly from the superintendent, but the fact that there was suggestion that community groups raise funds and donate them to the school corporation mm, mm -hmm. in order to meet these outstanding debt. Um, my huh. position is this. Um, I own property. I voted and supported a referendum. Um, mm -hmm. It is also my understanding that this lunch issue is less than um, a couple thousand dollars, less than five thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So my question is, can we not afford that? And, and it's something that needs to be worked on. But the referendum afforded the school system an additional seven point five million dollars. And the, the, the issue is the money that we pay this lunch debt, we're taking from teachers compensation. And yeah, that's yeah, that's what I've heard. Yes. Yeah. Jim and, just and, saw the look on my face like my <laughs> I mean, it's what it's like my eyebrows came together and my jaw just dropped. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> so I think there's a couple different ways that we can uh, um, protest this, if you mm -hmm. will, and um, basically talk to, and maybe cooler heads will prevail. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And very briefly, we should probably just touch on the fact that uh, Bill, the Cos Bill Cosby trial came to a conclusion this week. This one. Uh, this one, <laughs> yes. And uh, it, a mistrial was declared uh, on Saturday because the jurors said that they were hopelessly deadlocked. Um, but prosecution still plans to retry Cosby on charges that he drugged and molested this woman in 2004. What's interesting is that a juror or an alternate juror, right, has come forward um, and given a, um, an interview saying that he heard all the testimony, but of course didn't participate in deliberations or voting because he was an alternate. Uh, and you know, he actually very bluntly said that he probably would have convicted him had he been one of the regular jurors, but would have, could have, should have, might have, maybe. At the end of the day, I mean, I, as a feminist and a scholar of women of color, am really, really distressed, you know, at the fact that we still live in a nation that does not take, you know, allegations or, you know, <coughs> wor words from women seriously when it comes to sexual predators, when it comes to rape and sexual assault, um, especially if they're women of color, but regardless that there is still this idea that, you know, she, oh, she's lying, et cetera. You know, he's such a nice guy. Just because he played a good dad on TV doesn't mean that he is one. And when this many Correct. women come forward out of the woodwork going back decades and all attest to the same pattern of, of drug abuse and, and sexual assault, uh, it, be behooves us as a, as, a, as a community, right? As a group of human right. beings to gather around these women and to believe them, to protect them, and to make sure that a message is sent that this kind of behavior won't be tolerated from anyone, and regardless of whether they're a famous TV star or not. And where do you think those lines of division, support or not mm -hmm. support, believe or not believe, originate from? Um, is it gender? Racial, do you think? Um, I, I tend to go back to the OJ trial and notice how everything became racial. Um, and we knew about OJ, but then when the trouble hit, then he immediately immersed himself back in the black community. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty clear. But it seems to me that Cosby or this situation is not as clear from the divisions. And, and maybe I'm not saying that. I don't that know, correctly. William, do you? I mean, you know. what do you think? Jump in because yes. I don't know if it's that easy to disentangle <coughs> well, it, it's, that. It's not, but. I think that uh, this one is, is also made difficult because if Bill Cosby is convicted, then how do you weigh that against these college kids who are actually caught in the act raping young white girls and, and they get off with uh, uh, community service? 
I mean, we've seen a couple of those cases, a few of those cases in the last uh, 12 months or so. Sure, unconscious women being raped by swimmers and other yeah, athletes. Yeah, so once again, here you have as a black man being made exa- an example of. Now, I Are don't you con- saying that I we let Cosby off? I don't condone the, what Bill guilty? Cosby did, but I'm saying that, that that's going to create another problem for us to deal with. Well, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, but at the same time, I think the right thing is to make sure that any person regardless of age or race or financial background, be held accountable for sexually inappropriate conduct. And that's how it should be, but they're going to start with the black man. Well, that was a look at African Americans. That was a look. Headline news from around the world. We just don't seem to have enough time today. No, we don't. um, For this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African American community. We want to know what you think of the current black issues, so send your comments to us here at Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Jim Sims. And I'm Amrita Myers. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. Okay. Um, I have to learn these hand signs now. Um, For our event today, what is Juneteenth? And many of you know that today... June 19th is a a Mm -hmm. holiday, if you will, or a celebration period within the African-American community and many others um, called Juneteenth. So on June 19th, 1865 is considered the date when the last slaves in America were freed. Although the rumors of freedom were widespread prior to this, actual emancipation did not come until General Gordon Granger rode into Galveston, Texas and issued General Order No. 3 on June 19th, almost two and a half years after President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. So just to give you a quick overview of what Juneteenth stands for, the letter J represents the joy of freedom, the chance for a new beginning. You, that unless we expose the truth about the African-American slave experience, Americans won't truly be free. N, we never must forget our ancestors' endurance of one of the worst slave experiences in human history. E, every American has benefited from the wealth that blacks created over 200 years of free labor. And Juneteenth, you know, sort of allows us to acknowledge that debt. The T is to encourage every former slaveholding state to follow Texas and Oklahoma's example and make Juneteenth a state holiday. The next E, every day in America, blacks are reminded of the legacy of slavery. And Juneteenth also reminds us of the promise of deliverance. The next E, even on the journey to discover who we are, Juneteenth allows us to reflect on where we've been, where we're at, and where we're going as a people. N, never give up hope. That's the legacy of our enslaved ancestors. And it's this legacy that produced black heroism in the Civil War and helped launch the modern civil rights movement. That's a legacy that we celebrate. T, to proclaim for all the world to hear that human rights must never again become subservient to property rights. And the last H, history books have only told a small part of the story. Juneteenth gives us a chance to set the record straight. And Sister Amarita, we wish you safe traveling mercies. I hope you understand you will be missed this time mm-hmm. that you're gone, and Thank we you. can't wait to welcome you back. I expect a really, really deep, involved book. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Thank you, Jim. Our Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if you have an event or happening in the African-American community that we should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our thanks again this evening to um, our guest, Beth Applegate, president of Applegate Consulting Group and co-chair for Bloomington Showing Up for Racial Justice. And if I can and Jennifer name. Brooks. Jennifer Brooks, thank you. The other co-chair. The yep. other co-chair for Surge, and she is also a fellow WFHB volunteer co-host on the Interchange Program. If you'd like to learn more about the organization, you could or um, you can contact them at Surge Bloomington, S-U-R-J Bloomington at gmail.com or on their Surge Bloomington Facebook page. Or Beth at AppleGateOnline.com. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Joe Crawford. Our news editor is Michael Nowlin. Our board engineer team consists of Jim Thrasher and Floyd Hobson. 
Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am Jim Sims. And I'm Amrita Myers. Tune in next Monday, June the 26th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.